Let's hear God's word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning with verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 42 of Mark chapter 14. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we come to this portion of your word, the words, the sentences are easy to understand as far as that goes. But the depths which the Lord Jesus Christ is plumbing, the theological questions that are raised are not only very solemn, but also to some extent beyond us. How can we fully enter into the experience of Christ when he is so much greater than we are? But Lord, we pray that today we would hear from your word what we need in order to trust in a sympathizing Savior, in order to also go to prayer when we are deeply distressed, and in order to see that by his submission to the will of God, the Lord Jesus Christ obtained true victory in this conflict. In his name, for his glory, we ask these things. Amen. In some ways, this is probably the thorniest passage in the Gospel of Mark, not because, as I said in the prayer, the sentences are all that hard to understand. There's really only a couple of questions in terms of the outward interpretation of it. But what those sentences say raises some very big questions. For instance, verse 35, the Lord Jesus prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he goes on to say in verse 36, all things are possible for you. Well, that sounds like the answer. If it's possible, all things are possible. So of course it's possible for this cup to pass from him, and yet the cup is not taken away. Well, that raises questions about how God's omnipotence relates to God's plan, about the necessity of these things. It also raises questions about how the Lord Jesus is always heard in prayer, yet on this occasion, it sounds like the answer was a resounding no. There's questions about how that applies to the disciples. There's questions about their sleeping, about 
what Mark intends us to get from that. So I'm not going to preach on all of that this morning. Instead, we're going to approach this passage at least twice. On this occasion, the focus is on what the Lord Jesus describes of his own experience, what Mark says about his experience, because this also raises questions for us. It says he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. He says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. That raises questions for us. We need to understand how that works, what it means, how it relates to us. And the choice of which theme to focus on first was largely dictated by the schedule of the Lord's Supper. The reality of Christ's sufferings and sorrows lends itself to an observance, to preparation for partaking in the Lord's Supper. And so here we are this morning with the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his emotions are overwhelming. I'd like to look at that under two main headings. The first is Christ's communion with us, and the second is our communion with Christ. Obviously, those are two sides of a coin. They go very much together. But Christ's communion with us comes first because Christ's communion with us is foundational. There would be no communion on our part with Christ if Christ had not first entered into communion with us. Now, first of all, it's not asserted here, but it's taken for granted. It's baked into the crust, if you will, when the Lord Jesus says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. That contains, that necessarily implies a very strong statement about his true humanity. There were some in the early church who went astray. They thought that the divine nature of God the Son took the place of a human soul in the case of the Lord Jesus. But that's not true. Here he very clearly tells us that he had a complete human nature with a physical, a material body, one that we'll see in a few verses later on, was perfectly capable of experiencing physical pain, weakness, and even death. He also had a genuinely human soul. Now, one of the characteristics of a genuinely human soul is that it's moved. That's what an emotion is. It's something that changes our state, our situation, our condition. And here the Lord Jesus is experiencing very strong, very profound emotion. And these very strong and very profound emotions are emotions that we would consider negative. In other words, it's not that it's a sign of a defect to have them, but that they are a response to something very unfortunate in our circumstances. Well, what are the emotions he speaks of having here? Well, there's the word troubled, distressed. There's the expression deep. Distress, And then he adds, exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Well, all of those words are somewhat rare words in Scripture. We don't have a lot of instances where they're used. So rounding out, fleshing out what they mean is a little bit challenging. 
But I think we could definitely say, well, here's an element of heartbreaking grief. Here's also an element of deep anxiety. Let's just think about it from the standpoint of what we're familiar with. What kind of emotion is so intense and so negative that when you have it, you think, I'm going to die. This is going to kill me. Jesus says, I am, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. What sorts of emotions make you think, this is going to kill me? Well, sorrow is one of those emotions. When the pain of some loss, some grief that you've experienced is at its height, it can be overwhelming. Another one, of course, is anxiety. When people have a panic attack, one of the things that they often think is, I'm having a heart attack. They do think that what they're experiencing is killing them in the moment. So on the basis of the words used, on the basis of the situation, and on the basis of what human beings experience, Whatever other details may be added, I think we can say that here there is tremendous stress. There's tremendous stress in light of, maybe the best word would be dread, in light of what's coming. Because how does the Lord Jesus pray, take this cup away from me? Don't make me go through this. So what would you call that? Panic, anxiety, maybe dread is the appropriate word. And then he specifically says, exceedingly sorrowful. So you have tremendous stress, dread, sorrow. What a toxic cocktail of emotions. How overwhelming that would be. Now, the Lord Jesus experienced that. Because he experienced that, you can be completely assured that he is a genuine human being. God does not have emotions, properly speaking. God is not moved by stimulus from without. It's a good thing for us he isn't, because if he were, the fountain of joy could be dried up. But God is not moved. God is impassable, is the technical language for that. So when here you have the Lord Jesus deeply moved, What does that tell you? It tells you that he is human, truly human, as well as God. Now, sometimes people struggle with this because they think, but isn't it sinful to have such deep emotion? No, no, it isn't. The Lord Jesus experienced it, so you know it's not sinful. Can your heart break with grief and yet that's not wrong? Yes. Can you experience tremendous distress and anxiety without that being sin? Yes, you can. Can you go through the depths? And it doesn't mean that something is profoundly wrong with you. Yes, again, the Lord Jesus is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength always. He loved his neighbor as himself perfectly, and yet he went through all of this. Your sorrows, your distresses, your griefs, they do not mean that there is something wrong with you in that regard. Now, 
Obviously, there are emotions we would rather not feel. There's something wrong somewhere. And yes, we can have this kind of sensation as a response to sin. But it's not necessarily because of sin. And the response itself is not necessarily sinful. Now, why is the Lord Jesus experiencing all of this? Why is he going through it? Well, he's concerned about the cup. Now, in the Old Testament, the cup is a symbol of God's judgment. God pours out a cup of wrath or a cup of judgment on somebody. So what is the Lord Jesus dreading here? What has him in this terrible emotional condition? The reality that God's judgment is coming for him, not because he deserved it, but because he experienced, he's going to experience, our judgment. And that's why I called this section Christ's communion with us. Why is he undergoing any of this? Why is he stressed out? Why is his heart broken? Why is he overwhelmed with dread for us? That's why he's vulnerable to this. In love, He became incarnate. In love, he became a human being. In love, God the Son assumed a genuine, a complete human nature into personal union with himself. In love, he was made under the law. In love, he became responsible to keep God's whole law on our behalf. In love, he became liable for the penalty of that broken law. In love, Jesus went into Gethsemane. In love, he experienced this heartbreak. Well, there's many lessons there. But notice that Christ communed with us. Christ entered into our experience. Christ shared what we go through and more. Christ took our punishment. Christ went through the cup of God's judgment so that we wouldn't have to. Christ's communion with us was voluntary He didn't need it. He didn't need it to make him happy. He didn't need it to make him complete. It was pure grace, nothing but love. And it was love for us. Christ's communion with us involved him in suffering and in sorrow and in death. And he undertook that willingly. Our catechism speaks of the agonies and torments which Christ suffered in his soul on the cross and before. This is the before. This is part of his suffering for us. But now we also need to look at our communion with Christ. And in a sense, this is just the applications of what we've been considering. Because Christ entered into humanity, because he became a man, because he shared our experience, because he bore our judgment, Christ communed with us. He entered into fellowship with us. Well, now then, we can derive the application that we commune with Christ. Now, that's a simple thought, but it contains a tremendous amount of very important truth for us. Now, in one sense, Christ's sufferings, Christ's sorrow here is quite unique. As I said, Christ undertook to drain the cup of suffering so that we wouldn't have to. 
So one thing that we can derive, one comfort that we can get from our communion with Christ is that we are sheltered. We are protected from some of this. Do you need to live in fear of God's judgment falling upon you? Do you need to dread condemnation? No, you do not. Do you need to dread that God will turn his back on you because of the filthiness and foulness of your sins? If you're joined to Christ, no, you do not. That is not happening again. Christ did undergo judgment, but so that you would not have to. So one of the big benefits, one of the foundational benefits that we receive from communion with Christ is that fear of judgment is taken away. God's wrath will not come on us. You know the words, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what a comfort that is. The Lord Jesus endured all of this so that we would not have to. But that's not the only comfort. There's another comfort. When you go through your hard times, when dread, when sorrow, when distress have come upon you, you know that that has not separated you from Christ because you've seen him go through it also. You know, it doesn't mean that now you're under wrath, now you're being punished for what you did because Christ suffered these terrible agonies And yet he had done nothing wrong. He's taken away your sins. So when distress comes, when you think I'm going out of my mind, when you think this is going to kill me, when you think I don't think I can get out of bed this morning, that hasn't separated you from Christ. You're still joined to him. He is with you in your sorrow. He was with us. He was for us. In these sorrows in Gethsemane, well, he's with us in our sorrows. And I don't know all of your situations, and I don't know them all in their deepest depths. But I'm pretty confident in saying that what the Lord Jesus underwent in Gethsemane and on Calvary is a little bit worse, is a little bit deeper than the deepest waters that we go through. I say that not to minimize the sufferings that other people experience, but just to point out that the Lord Jesus went through them without some of the help that we have. The Lord Jesus went through them as an expression of God's judgment against sin, and we don't have to do that. So whatever your depth is, however far down you are, however overwhelmed with grief, you haven't gone lower Then the Lord Jesus went. That's part of what we're trying to draw out when we say in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. He experienced the worst that it is possible to experience. And so whatever your circumstances are, however bad it is, the Lord Jesus knows what that's like. The Lord Jesus has been there, and the Lord Jesus is with you there now. Now, of course, when we're having this sort of dread, this sort of distress, this sort of heartbreak and sorrow, we have questions. We want to know why. Well, 
We can't always fully answer. We can't always give detailed answers. But we can give some general answers that are hopefully beneficial. Why is all of this happening to me? Well, let's change that slightly. Let's say, for what reason or to what end, for what purpose is all of this happening to me? Part of the difficulty of suffering is that it seems senseless, right? Why should I not be able to sleep on top of the other problems that I'm having? Why should I have this irritating pain in some part of my body when there's already so much to do? Why should I be slowed down and hampered? Why should it feel like swimming uphill through molasses to get life done? Is there a value to that? Is there a purpose to that? Well, there is. And part of the reason for suffering is for communion with Christ. In other words, Christ suffered deeply. And we want to be joined to Christ. We want to share with him. We want to live in fellowship with him. By God's grace, our suffering, although it's different in nature, although it's different in degree to some extent, although there are those differences of our specifics, yet our suffering can be an area where we experience communion with Christ. Paul talked about being made conformable to the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Paul also talked about filling up what was behind, what was left over of the sufferings of Christ. We're disciples of a suffering Savior. Suffering, then, is part of our conformity to him, part of our fellowship with him. Now, that doesn't make it easy. It remains genuine suffering. But it does mean it's not random, it's not weird, it's not unnecessary cruelty. It does give us an opportunity to walk with Christ in a particular way. Now, we have to trust that God knows how much suffering is beneficial for us to fellowship with Christ in that suffering. And that fellowship is not just one-dimensional. It's not just suffering. We can also fellowship with Christ in his prayers for deliverance. We saw this last week from Psalm 107. In all the different varieties of distress that came about, people cried to the Lord. What does the Lord Jesus do? He's in this overwhelming sorrow and distress. What does he do? He prays, Abba, that's the Aramaic, Father, that's the Greek. They both mean the same thing. He's calling on God, his Father, take this cup from me. We can fellowship with Christ in his prayers. We can fellowship with Christ in his suffering. We can fellowship with Christ in his prayers. But then we can also fellowship with Christ in his submission. Not what I will, but what you will. Now, if the Lord Jesus needed to learn this, And, you know, the book of Hebrews reflects upon this. It says, though he were a son, he was God the son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And reflecting on this very occasion, he talks about how the Lord Jesus prayed with strong crying, 
how he was heard in that he feared. Well, if the Lord Jesus had to go through the school of obedience and learn submission through suffering, not that he was ever disobedient, but at this point he was called upon to renounce everything that was merely natural, to renounce any desire to be spared pain and suffering, torture and torment. He was called upon to renounce even a godly aspiration to enjoy fellowship with God. He was called upon to embrace the cup of God's judgment. The Lord Jesus had to learn obedience in this way. And this submission, this not my will, but thine be done, that was a tremendous victory. That was a victory not just over the devil, not just over external temptation. That was a victory over the limitations, the weaknesses built into flawlessly created humanity. The Lord Jesus triumphed in the garden. Well, if he had to go through this school of obedience, what do we expect? Don't we also have to go through this? Don't we need to be made conformable to Christ in this regard? That we too learn self-renunciation? That we learn to say, not my will, but thine be done. You know, there really is no path to peace. There really is no avenue to joy apart from this particular renunciation, apart from being able to say this. Now, how do we get there? Well, it would be nice to think that we get there because we read this passage and we're like, yeah, that's right. I need to give up on my own will. That would be the easy way to do it. And let me exhort and encourage you, if you at all can, do it that way. Read this passage, think about it, enter into the sufferings of Christ by reflecting on what he did and say to God from the bottom of your heart, not my will, but thine be done. But most of us, Don't take the easy way. Most of us learn only in the crucible. We have to be put to the test. We have to be brought into this situation of our souls being exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. I don't want to go through that. You probably don't want to go through that either. But the Lord Jesus went through it for us. Can we trust that in his wisdom, Every cup he doesn't take away from us will be ultimately a cup of salvation for us. Can we trust that if he sees what we need is more distress, that he will be faithful to send it? I remember when we were in Mexico, there was this one lady, and this poor lady had so many problems. And then her son-in-law fell off a bus and smashed his head and She was having to spend hours every day in the hospital. And I remember saying to the Lord, this is too much. She's not going to be able to handle this. You've got to take this away from her. It's overwhelming. And the Lord knew better than I did, unsurprisingly. She began to do better. That time in the hospital watching over her injured son-in-law turned into a real blessing for her. Her other problems diminished. She received strength to handle them. Can we trust that the cup of suffering, not judgment, because he's drained the cup of judgment. But can we trust that the cup of suffering that comes to us 
is a cup that will turn to our salvation, is a cup that will mean conformity to Christ, is a cup that will mean greater, deeper fellowship with the Lord Jesus, our suffering, but also our victorious Savior. Well, may God grant that we all say in communion with Christ, not my will, but thine be done. Amen.